It is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. This is God's word. All right. Um, If you're new, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am quarantining. It's so fun. Uh, We were exposed to COVID last Saturday or something. Um, Got a negative test, but I thought just for safety's sake, I should probably stay home. Uh, So you're you're getting a, a sermon via Zoom land in my very nice office with my many leather bound books. So that's exciting. Um, this week, I'm, I'm, let me just be real for a second. You're going to have a, this is going to be a short sermon. Um, it has been a crazy week. And it's one of the problems about being bivocational is when, you know, your businesses kind of explode, you got to figure things out. So I did not get to invest nearly as much time uh, in this sermon as I normally would. And it turns out working from home with kids is not easy. I think it's where the concept of purgatory came. Uh, I think that's what it means. Um, so, um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna kind of just dive into these two verses. Uh, this is really, really a beautiful kind of story in the gospel, and something that I've been really challenged by this week. And so, by way of introduction, uh, the wis- the vision we have for this year is to dive into the idea that Christ has set us apart, that we are set apart. So that's our kind of our vision statement. And what we don't mean by that is that we are set apart because we're morally superior or because we hold political views on certain and lean certain ways, or even because you are here uh, in person or on Zoom participating in in the gathering of God's saints. Um, We are set apart because of what the gospel has called us into and the fact that, that we view our allegiance to Christ as superior than any other allegiance we have in our lives, that we are going to make his name famous and we're going to love our neighbor as ourself. And, um, and so the gospels called us into something beautiful and that set us apart. Uh, and we thought we'd work that out and that concept uh, by going through the book of Galatians. And so today we're digging into Galatians, particularly verses 13 and 14. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to, uh, to turn there or, or look it up on your device. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for the ability to gather in many forms, and that we get to worship you through reading and through learning and talking about your word, through singing, through gathering, um, through giving. God, you are, you are worthy of all of our praise. I ask that you would prick our hearts um, so that we might be reminded to turn to you more deeply in love. Um, And for those who may have been struggling and and 
hard things have been happening in lots of people's lives. I ask that you would give them hope and peace and joy as we get to, to spend time with you. Uh, speak to us and don't let me say anything that is not from you in your name. Amen. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Um, I'm going to read it, and, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Uh, for you have heard, this is Paul speaking, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So I want to remind us kind of a, what's happening. What is Paul talking about? What is the problem uh, that the Galatian churches are trying to work through? Um, and, and kind of the background is the churches in Galatia were comp- comprised of mostly Gentiles. Uh, and as they formed and grew, there was a group of Jewish Christians. And I want you to remember that. These aren't what we, their name is the Judaizers, but these are Jewish Christians. Um, who believed very sincerely and with good intent that Gentile Christians had to follow Jewish law and tradition if they were to actually follow Jesus. Uh, And Paul disagreed with them. Um, We we see that happen in the book of Acts, and then it causes a council to happen in Acts 15. It's all very exciting stuff. Uh, But Paul disagreed with them. The apostles disagreed with them. But the Jewish Christians slowly started to convince the churches. Uh, that the Gentiles needed to follow the law, in particular, the, the subject or topic of circumcision. Um, so Paul is now writing this letter, reprimanding these churches um, from turning away from the good news uh, that salvation happens through faith and not works. And last week, John Simon, when he was preaching, reminded us that there were some that were saying Paul is just caving to the pressures of these Gentile men, and that's why he doesn't require circumcision. And Paul's argument today is addressing that accusation. Paul is saying, I'm not trying to please men uh, by saying Gentiles have freedom from the law. I'm not trying to please men by saying salvation comes by faith. And his whole argument uh, is going to be founded on his life before knowing Jesus, before being a follower of Christ. Um, And so knowing who Paul is, Uh, or who Paul was before Christ is really important to understanding this passage. And so we're actually going to spend some time just looking and and traveling through his life of what we know before he had this crazy encounter uh, with Jesus. And so background, who was Paul? Uh, In Acts chapter 23, verse six, we find out that Paul's father, and I believe his grandfather were both Pharisees. So that means that Paul comes from a very religious family. Uh, Not only was he born into a religious family, uh, but Paul became a Pharisee himself. So I think we should ask, what is a Pharisee? We we use the term Pharisee. I don't think we often know what it means. So a Pharisee was a member of a Jewish group or Jewish sect uh, that was distinguished by their strict observance of the traditional law. And these guys were interesting because they didn't just obey Jewish law. Uh, They were so concerned about breaking the Jewish law that they created other laws surrounding those Jewish laws, kind of like a fence to protect it. So they didn't break the Jewish law or the the extra laws that they're putting on. They're creating more laws around laws to make sure that they're really close with God and and following God and not going to break any laws. 
Uh, we even see Jesus mention this in the Gospels, where he, he's actually rebuking the Pharisees, but he says that they tithe of their mint and dill. So he, they tithe off their spices. They make sure that literally everything that comes into their possession, they're going to make sure that God has his part in it, uh, which is mind-blowing to me because I would never have considered tithing like, of my food. Maybe I'm just selfish, but that, that concept is, is odd. Um, and, and I don't think any of us are that quote unquote, religious or righteous or holy that we even consider those things. Uh, the, the closest thing that I ever saw to something like someone tithing off their spice rack, it's, it's really funny. Uh, when we were meeting in 191 back in the, the day, you know, we had a, a lot of college students, a lot of broke college students. Um, and we had a, a, one of the guys, I, I won't mention who it is, but he didn't have any money. Cat was super broke. I just called the person a cat. That's it. Um, anyway, so I was after service, I'd go and, and, uh, open the offering box and pick up. Usually it was like 20 bucks. Let's be honest. We were killing it as a church. Uh, but I found cigarettes in there and a guy tithed off of his cigarettes because he didn't have any cash and he did it for a couple weeks in a row. And I thought this might be the best offering I've ever heard of. It may be sacrilegious. I'm not sure, but it was definitely my favorite time of, of counting uh, our offerings. So, uh, anyways, all that to say, the Pharisees were the most holy, righteous people around. They were the elite religiously. And Paul, being a Pharisee, kind of had that extra that extra height in society. But Paul was actually the elite of the elite. On Philippians three, he calls himself the Hebrew of the Hebrews. Like he is the perfect representation of what a good Hebrew is said that he was faultless concerning the law because he built all of these extra laws that he memorized and studied to make sure he didn't break the law. And then he brags about being circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, Not really a brag, I guess. It was more of him saying, that's what I used to hold as a sign of my righteousness. Uh, Not only was he all of those things, uh, but he trained under a guy named Gamaliel and he's a fun guy to study. So if you uh, have a lot of extra time at home this week, just start reading up on Gamaliel, really interesting dude. Um, and, and Gamaliel was revered for his wisdom and judgment. Uh, so Paul was trained in this tradition by the very best. And, and you can make the argument that Paul was on his way to being the very best. And definitely amongst his age group, he was. And I want you to think about all of this uh, and, and consider Galatians chapter 1, verse 14. Paul is the perfect picture of what a good religious person is. The, the, his life is organized perfectly. God is considered in every concept. And this is what verse 14 says. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul's whole life, was about the traditions that had been passed down. His yearly routines and his daily routines were all informed by those traditions. And what did it lead him to? Verse 13, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. 
Paul, faultless concerning the law, zealous for the traditions of his fathers, and all of this training and all of his knowledge of scripture leads him to violently persecute the church. Sincerely, because he believed that they were heretics worshiping a false Messiah. And actually, you, you can see this in, in Acts chapter 8. I'll turn there really quick. This is our really our first introduction to who Paul is. Um, Stephen has just finished kind of really giving a, a heavy, heavy kind of sermon to groups of crowds and it, it enrages the people. And, and in this passage, chapter seven and chapter eight, we get to meet Paul for the very first time. So what we know about Paul reading through the book of Acts is that verse one and Saul, that was his former name, um, really his Jewish name. When he goes to Gentile places, he calls himself Paul. I think it's actually a cultural thing, not a name change thing, but that's something for another day. And Saul approved of his execution. Uh, And there rose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except for the apostles. So Stephen gives a sermon. The, The crowd begins to riot and they're going to stone him. And in order to stone them, they're removing their their coats and, and Saul takes their coats and holds it. Now he's faultless to law. He's not going to stone these people. He's not breaking the law. He's just approving of the breaking of the law of the murder of Stephen. And so he holds their coats and then approves of the execution. I don't know why I can't say that word of the stoning of Stephen. Oh man, this is a good week. Good week. Um, and then in chapter nine, we see Uh, him pop up again. And it says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So not only is he approving of the death of Stephen, but he actually gets official documents to present to temples Uh, so that he can persecute the followers of Jesus because they were breaking the traditions of his fathers. So why is this important? Um, And why is Paul pressing this in Galatians? Why is he bringing this up? Uh, And there's there's two things that are kind of at play here. Uh, The first is that Paul wants the Galatian church to understand that there's nothing in his life and history that would lead him to allow people not to follow the law and the traditions of Judaism. For Paul to say to anyone that you didn't have to get circumcised, that you didn't have to follow these traditions, would take a miracle, an act of God. In Acts chapter 9, that's literally what happened. Paul on the road to persecute Christians was blinded by Jesus, spoken to him, uh, Jesus spoke to him and, and he realized he was actually persecuting God's fathers or followers. The second thing this brings up, and this is really, this is really, I want us to consider this passage heavily. Uh, I don't think our church, uh, probably the modern evangelical church at all, is concerned about circumcision or even following the Old Testament laws. I mean, you have the, the random ones here and there, but they're, they're there. <laughs> 
I'm not going to say mean things. Um, but what concerns me about our church and about the modern American church is this second question. How can someone follow the laws of the Old Testament and the traditions that sprung from that to know scripture so well and have their lives wrapped up around the temple and around God and not see Jesus? How is it that Paul missed the Messiah? Not only missed the Messiah, but then after Jesus resurrected, continues to persecute the church. How can Paul, knowing all of this, be so wrong? There's a a scholar named Timothy George, and he puts it this way, uh, regarding these verses. Nothing in Paul's religious background and pre-conversion life could have in any way prepared him for a positive response to the gospel. I'm going to read that again. Nothing in Paul's religious background and pre-conversion life could have in any way prepared him for a positive response to the gospel. When I read that sentence, and when I read these verses, particularly in verse 14, I, there's a fear that comes over me. And I was advancing in Judaism, the religion of God's people, the religion who, who explains who God is and, and teaches about the Messiah, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. I think we should hear those two things and shudder. Because Paul thought with every fiber in him that he was following God, but he wasn't. Paul, sincerely, as a follower of God, persecuted the followers of Christ. Thought he was doing the work of God. He wasn't. And that makes me wonder, am I missing something? Because I, I, I can honestly say with every fiber in me, I believe I'm following Jesus. But am I being formed by something else that has me delusional? in my quest to know Christ. And so the question that I think we need to ask is, what was Paul really after? And he tells us right here, and I th I've read this so many times, missed it every time. I was advancing in Judaism, beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was chasing what the Jewish culture thought was valuable. He shaped his life and routines around it and thought it would lead to God, but instead it betrayed him. He was after the tradition, the experience, the society clout that he would get it, but he wasn't after God. He was following the cultural Jewish norm just to the extreme that he became the elite. Then in reading something like that, I think we have to ask ourselves, what are we actually chasing? 
Are you really a follower of Jesus or is this just like a normal cultural thing for you? What are, what is really forming us? What do we really give ourselves to? What do we really want? And I had, so part of the thing this week is I had like this huge long list of explanation of all this formation and, and how we, we are formed and, and our loves changes and, and I really just felt like I had to get rid of it. Um, there's great books on it out there. Actually, I think there's some in a library. Feel free to go grab one. But James K. Smith has a phenomenal book about this topic, about how you are formed by society and your routines and different things like that. It's called You Are What You Love. So go buy that book, and now you don't have to listen to that part of my sermon. But I really want to land here. This is where I think we need to, to deal with our hearts. I'm going to, I'll give you a few examples of, of what the, this concept of, of what Paul was being shaped by and, and maybe how it plays with us today. And then I want you to really work this out in your microchurches. Um, what is really forming you in your daily routines that has you blinded like Paul and you don't see Christ? Or that pushes you away from the cultural norm so you can see Christ? Simple things. Uh, things like... How much time do I spend listening to the news compared to meditating on God in any form? I think we've seen that lifted up and and the the concept of Christian nationalism is now in the forefront of pastors' minds because they're realizing, man, these people are definitely Americans before they are Christians. And Christ calls us into his kingdom above any other kingdom. Uh, As a Christian... I'm supposed to value community uh, and, and togetherness, but my culture values individualism far more than it values community. Am I actually being shaped by that away from Christ instead? As a church, are we really calling one another to love Christ and follow Christ as Lord and Savior, or are we okay with moralism? Go to church, you do your routine, don't be bad, don't get drunk, that kind of stuff. Um, Why do you really read your Bible or pray or go to church at all? Paul didn't answer those questions. And so he grew in Judaism and was far better than all of his contemporaries and became extremely zealous for the traditions and did all of the things right and missed God, missed the gospel. And so I, I want to discuss in your micro churches, and I want you to think about this, and I think you should think about it deeply. Paul was so steeped in his religious culture that he was blinded to Christ. And Christ literally had to blind Paul so that Paul could see Jesus. What traditions, we'll use that word traditions, things you do and values of our culture are actually blinding you from seeing Christ. Then I think that comes along with the question, man, are you actually really a a follower? Or are you just doing these things because you grew up doing them? 
because you think if you do them, God will give you something or because it's makes you feel good. What are you actually chasing? Paul, the the most religious and God-fearing, quote-unquote, person, missed the gospel. So not only do we need to consider those things, but how can we turn back to our first love? Just as the Ephesian church was called to Revelation. So um, I know that was a short sermon. Um, so you're welcome. Uh, I might have just like won the award for shortest sermon all year. Just lock in an early. Um, but what we're going to do now is I'm, we're going to have a time of silent confession. I'm going to lead into that by praying and then we'll leave two minutes of silence uh, and then we'll, we'll close out. Uh, so, Father, um, I have been very convicted about the, the choices I make in my daily routines and the way that I'm formed by the culture around me that I don't even recognize it. And to me, it is jarring that Paul could have advanced so far and known so much of what we call the Old Testament that reveals who you are and who Jesus is, and he still missed it. Because I think he was after the traditions and not after you. And so I want to confess as pastor of this church uh, and in my own life that we often choose many other things over you. And we often don't think about what's forming us or, or how we can follow you and how to work that into our daily routines. And so as we have this time of silence, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would reveal to each one of us ways that we are given over to the traditions of religion or culture, but not given over to you.